Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined this week with the same lineup that joined me last week. Owen Hughes. Hello. And Callum Petch. Hello. As we have a look at the last week or so in film, including rele- uh, new release reviews of Terminator Genesis and Magic Mike, some amount of X's and one L on the end of it. <laughs> yes. I don't know Not what that Roman I yeah, tw- what is that? Twenty-five, maybe. I don't 30, know. How, Twenty-five. How, yeah. how large? How large do you think Magic Mike is, Steve? I don't know, but X X is ten in Roman numerals, isn't he it? He so... gets all his clothes from Giacomo. That's what I heard. XXL. Clo- Never yes, mind. yes. I do. I don't know what Giacomo is. You get it. Everyone got it. Just no one. No, 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 no. I'm just trying to. I'm just upset with you for bringing Giacomo back up. God, I, I was able to escape those goddamn daytime TV adverts whilst I was at university, and now I have to see them again. I just wasn't laughing. No, no. you're a mean, mean man. Mind. I was yeah. st- straight in with the quiz where Owen is is beating me two 0 while the guests are beating me two 0 which means Owen might win. Um, I'm in danger of watching really, really bad. So I need to pull my finger out. You're, you're <laughs> wanting me to throw this round, aren't you? Oh, it's just some part of me just thinks I just best get it over and done with. It's yeah. I mean, um, I kind of have in mind what film I'm going to make you watch, but I'm also in two minds whether to let Callum choose a film for you to watch if he wins. Because I know what I want you to watch, but it requires you having to review it. <laughs> <laughs> it's that evil um, screener. It is it? the yeah possibly. It's the, it's um, the evil script. It's like the cursed ring tape, except instead of killing people, it just drives into sadness and misery. <laughs> yeah, um, and it is worse than Kill Keith and United Passions. So I'll just put that out there. Um, otherwise, yeah, would you have in mind any films you would make Steve watch, kind of that could potentially be worse than that? Um, I have I, I have film ideas, but I'm probably actually going to be nice and recommend him a good film. Oh, okay, so yeah. maybe not. <laughs> That's what the intention was of this quiz originally, but somebody went and ruined that. Yeah, you. <laughs> did I? Yeah, you did. I think it was Cutthroat Island that you made us watch, and then it all—it was all downhill from well, there. Well, it depends how you want to look at these things, doesn't it? <laughs> it's all—it's all relative. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. It's not the room, and it's not Kill Keith. So yeah, I suppose it wasn't too bad in hindsight. Um, but the quiz this week, sort of uh, in honour of Terminator Genesis, is... Or Terminator Mega Drive if you live in Europe. Or Mega Drive if you're in yeah in a PAL region. I'm going to theme the quiz around Arnold Schwarzenegger. But also, basically, I'm going to read a quote, okay? And you have to tell me whether it's Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> That's how this works. Oh, okay. I need this. I, I, need, I needed this right now today. I needed something like this. Thank you, Owen. <laughs> okay. So you can also get a bonus point if you can tell me which film the actual quote is from. So you can get two points per question, potentially. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, as always, Steve, I'm going to make you go first. And first quote is, don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Steve. Is that... Yes, Steve. Yeah, that was for you. All right. I thought he'd shout it out. Sorry. <laughs> no, you, you might have said it at some point in the past, but that's not what I've got written down. That is Arnold Schwarzenegger. It is. And the film is? Um, I think it is 
Junior. <laughs> it's not Junior. Is it Kindergarten Cop? It was Commando. Oh. It's on the airplane. He's got the dead guy next to him. Well, the guy he just elbowed in the face. Do you know what you should have done? What? Is this Arnold Schwarzenegger or Rainier Wolfcastle? Oh. <laughs> that would have been ten times better. Maybe when you're running the, the quiz next week then, Steve, if you've lost. Uh, okay, Callum. Mm-hmm. In town, you're the law. Out here, it's me. Don't push it or I'll give you a war you won't believe. Uh, Sylvester Stallone. Stallone, it is Stallone, and the film is? The panel wants to say Judge Dredd, but I think it's wrong. Uh, 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 Cobra? It's not Cobra. It's First Blood, the first oh. Rambo film. Yeah. In town, you're the law. Out here, it's me. It's when he goes into the wilderness, chased off by the policeman. Okay, Steve, back to you. You're a disease, and I'm the cure. I think this one is Sylvester Stallone. It is Sylvester Stallone, and the yeah. film is Rocky Four. <laughs> it's I want to say Judge Dredd. Oh, Cobra. Was... That was Cobra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was Cobra. You're a disease, and I'm the cure. Uh, fantastic quote. I think that was the moment I thought I loved this film when I watched it for the first time recently. As soon as he said that, I was like, yeah, this is this is a film for me. Uh, okay, Callum. Mm-hmm. I know now why you cry, but it's something I can never do. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terminator 2. It is, on both counts, yes. You well, gave me that one, didn't you? Um, No, no, I don't know. Steve might not have guessed it, you know, if it was Passover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot, I forgot. Okay, Steve. You see them movies where they say, make my day or I'm your worst nightmare? Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I was going to say that. That is Arnold Schwarzenegger. It is. And that is Kindergarten Cop. So it's Last Action Hero. It's Last Action Hero, yes. So, Callum, you've pretty much won this. (laughs) Because all you have to guess is the actor or the film. Okay, then. So what if he doesn't guess either? So what if he doesn't guess either? Either. I'm going to read out a long quote and it's going to be the first one of you to tell me which film it's from. Okay. Final quiz question. Callum. Mm-hmm. Who said that? Who said... <laughs> I live to see you eat that contract, but I hope you leave enough room for my fist because I'm going to ram it into your stomach and break your goddamn spine. That has to be a, a Stallone quote. That that has to be right. It's not. I can't believe it. It's not. It's Arnie in the Running Man. Oh, oh, oh! I thought I thought it was a completely different uh, Arnie film there as well. Then, like that would have been my backup thing. The uh, uh, one where he goes on about you're a fucking choir boy compared to me or something. I can't remember what that is. But... Oh yeah, no. What is that one? Ah, oh. but no. Unfortunately, it's a tie. So we have the tiebreaker. Ooh. So, hmm. Ooh, ah, it is an ooh. Arnie film. You haven't got to work out whether it's Arnie or Stallone, but you've just <laughs> got to tell me what this is from. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's as satisfying to me as uh, coming is, you know, as uh, having sex with a woman and coming. And so can you believe how much I am in heaven? I am like uh, getting the feeling of coming in a gym <laughs> and getting the feeling of coming at home. 
getting the feeling of coming backstage when I pump up, when I pose in front of 5,000 people. Oh, oh Callum. 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 Yeah. Pumping iron. It's pumping iron, yes. Thank you for stopping me sooner. <laughs> that, that was part of it. We just thought like that was hoping Steve would hold off as well, so we could just hear you go on with that full quote for ages. <laughs> I just couldn't just think. I couldn't think of the name of, of the documentary. I knew what it was. Yeah. Think uh, of yeah. it. If, if there are any, if there are any like proactive listeners out there, I want to hear that monologue there, placed behind like smooth jazz music in the background. There, <laughs> set the right mood. Yeah. If anyone's good at editing, um... super stable dance remix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but okay, I am going to give that to you then, Callum, I think. You can pick the film. I got it right, so... You got it right, so, I mean, you can pick whichever film Steve has to watch. You'll give it it to Callum on the basis that he won within the rules of a quiz. (laughs) If you want to get technical, yeah. So, um, Callum, have you got anything in mind to make Steve watch? Yes, and it's going to be a good film as well, here. Thank you. Thank you, Callum. (laughs) <laughs> Treat this with respect here. And it's a film I'm trying to force on everybody. It's also going to be my, my recommendation this week as well. Um, Steve, have you watched Wet Hot American Summer? I do not believe I have. I may well have seen some films with a similar title. Uh, it is on net. It is on Netflix, and you should. And you now have to watch it. Okay. Yes, uh, the films I, I, that I've seen with a similar title have not been on Netflix. Yeah. If you want. <laughs> Yeah. And if you want as well, because I know you'll want more after you watch that film, um, again, try and put it on everybody and everybody so far loves it. Um, you could probably follow it up in a couple of weeks on the TV um, special podcast with the Netflix original prequel series. It's coming along at the end of the month as well. Okay. So, so tying everything in. I will, and I will give that a go. Yes. See, good films here, Owen. See, I tried doing that once and they threw it back in my face. What did you choose as your good film? Was, Do you even I remember? I, I can remember what it was about. It was about that guy who it, he'd lived for like thousands of thousands of years. It, it, I think it's called The Man From Earth. That, yeah, that, that one. It. So it was like interesting and I thought it was good. I tried my best to make you to do all good films if we won the quiz and you and James spat in my face. Oh, not yeah. me. Well, no, yeah, no I've, got, I've got instant respect for you now, Callum. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And minor adoration. Thank you. You'll probably lose it in a few like halfway through this podcast. Uh, at the latest. <laughs> okay, that's that, that's what happens when you have prolonged exposure to me. You just lose all respect, but you're fine for my writings. Anyway, let's do news. On yes, let's do news. Uh, but a slow week for for news, hasn't it, Owen? It has really. Um, I mean, it probably isn't, but from what I find on Twitter and just browsing websites very occasionally yes it seems like it's been a very slow week um the only thing i really want to like actually touch on and report about is film for fright fest uh the tickets went on sale at the weekend went on on sale on saturday i think and um mike shawcross who's been on the podcast before with us uh, and also attends fright fest every year he's written a preview on the website so he's picked out a few films that he is keen to talk about keen to see um, one of them was called Deathgasm. They have fantastic names, some of these films. Deathgasm sounds kind of crazy. Turbo Kid as well, which is like a post-apocalyptic sci-fi, which is, is recommended. Um, Stung, which is about monster wasps, which a few people have already seen, and there's reviews knocking about, which also has that down as quite a good film. But yeah, there's quite quite a lot going on this year. Um, 
A new Takashi Mike film is out, Over Your Dead Body, which is, as you might assume, a sort of samurai film. Um, yeah, so quite a lot, quite a lot. It's all on the website. If you go to failcritics.com, it should just be on the sort of first page or if you scroll down a bit and you can just have a flick through some of the films he's um, he's highlighted. Didn't Fight Fest last year have the guest and Faults in there as well? It did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Faults, still about a UK distributor, which is still unfucking acceptable. Yes. I might, I, yeah. I might, I might finally get around of actually writing my bloody review at some point soon as well. It could be my hoop dreams. <laughs> dreams, yeah. That, that was it, Steve. I've, that was. Is it, is it going to contain more balls out torture porn from Jessica Cameron? Yes. Um, you know what? I didn't see her name listed on any of the films that Mike picked out. So whether she just hasn't got a film showing this year, or whether he snubbed her, I don't know. I would assume he hasn't snubbed her yeah. because. Um, she was kind enough to, yeah, review, um, well, in, get interviewed for whatever film it was that came out. <laughs> I can't remember the name, Mail. Truth or it, Dare? Truth or Dare? Yeah. It's it's probably the former. Like, we, we can't all be Joe Swanberg and put out, like, three films in a year, so. Mm. She, well, Truth or Dare was her directorial debut, to be fair. And yeah. um, she was keen to promote it, and it did go down very well at Fright Fest and, and has since on the indie sort of circuit, and... You know, fair enough. But she she does appear in quite a few little indie horror films. So um, she was in two last year at Fright Fest. She was in a short film as well that Mike also um, saw. I think he worked on it or his friend worked on it as well. Which, um, yeah, so, you know, she might be in a film, but I just didn't see her name on the credits as I was flicking through the the films he'd picked out. So who knows? Okay. um, Yes, so not really much other... Other news of, of note? No, the only thing I saw, like, the other day, which Callum's just told me happened three weeks ago, so this is how slow I am on the update. <laughs> Inside Out, I found out, um, earned 90.4... Uh, or 90.44 million dollars um, in its opening weekend, which actually, despite the fact it's still sort of lagging behind Jurassic World, it makes it the highest opening weekend in history... For a wholly original movie, so of something that's not a sequel, yeah. not a franchise, etc. Of, of course, whether you consider that completely due to the fact that it's the Pixar brand and the Pixar brand is strong as mm. hell is nothing entirely, but it's it's still good. It also means that's another record that Avatar's been knocked away from. We're nearly yes, there. We're nearly there. Off. Chipped off. Yeah. With, Ju- with Jurassic World being this apparent non-stop juggernaut that will not stop for anything, I think it's. By the time we're talking here, it's probably our fourth biggest grossing film ever. Um, it's just um, insane, isn't it? Yeah, like, like who knows? By the time it by the time it wraps up, it might cross two billion and may even come close to actually going through Avatar and the inevitable re-release it gets in a decade or so. I just don't understand it. I don't understand I, how it's so popular. Yeah. I, I don't I like I I don't understand either extreme like like I don't understand how it's this mega juggernaut that everybody loves and is going back to every single week and incidentally thanks to Jurassic World Inside Out is going to be the first Pixar film to not hit number one at any point. Um, it technically did this past weekend if you count five day weekend for Independence Day, but that's not how I do my box office reports. <laughs> um, but like, I, I don't understand how everybody loves it that much. But at the same time, I also don't understand this giant backlash that it's gotten from everybody. Like, like pretty much everybody I follow or talk to them out there is under the impression here that Jurassic World is just this utterly abominable train wreck that hates audiences and is the death of cinema. And I'm just having like, I don't 
Uh, oh. Callum, Callum, can I introduce you to Steve of the podcast? He um, might fit that criteria. He, you weren't very keen on Jurassic World, were you, Steve? Oh, it sucked. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was, it was stupid. It was. Oh, I, I don't know why people like it. No, that's fine. Like I, like, like I, like I realize, I recognize it's, it's a terrible film. Like it is a terrible film, but I like I like because I had lots of ridic- just ridiculous dumb fun with it. Essentially, like I, like I was having laughing, I was joking. There's moments where dinosaurs just fought each other, and that's all my inner five year old ever wanted. But, but again, like I like it, but I don't, and I understand why people don't about that. But I don't get like perceiving like death of cinema hatred that everybody's got going around. Like I don't understand why people love it. I don't. I just don't understand people. I don't like understanding people. It's one of the many reasons I'm miserable. Um, like I just I don't get it. I don't. I, I don't I'm get. Gonna, both I'm going to hold you to this when we start talking about Terminator later. Oh no no no! So it, that, so, that that's deserved. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, but was there anything else anyone wanted to talk about on the news? More I can think of in well in news that we can make brief comments on that aren't just like shaking our heads. Uh, Robert Zemeckis, <laughs> Robert Zemeckis has announced that uh, like has revealed that there will be no Back to the Future sequels or remakes as long as him and the film's producer are still living. Because they own the rights and they have to say so to everything, and that that's just not going to happen. They, they don't want anything to do with it. So it's good to have it in this like reboot, remake, sequel culture that something's mm. safe, even if it's Back to the Future, and still makes tons of money anyway when it gets shown at like secret cinema and stuff. Mm. You know, yeah, I I I was never really a fan of Back to the Future as a kid. I need to go back and watch it though. Like I said, I haven't seen the sequels either, so. From from my experience, kids either liked Indiana Jones or they liked um, Back to the Future. I remember ah. having debates with people in school, like at a young age, about which ones people preferred. Hmm. I, I preferred Indiana Jones, but I think that's because I like that kind of swashbuckling kind of um, yeah, same. Like adventure movie. Mm. What but, although, um, although Back to the Future at least did give us the power of love. So <laughs> what do you think? It, all, it all shakes out. What do you think the next film that hasn't yet had a reboot or sequel or franchise kind of thing will be the next one to have it oh god uh, I mean when you look at everything like Star Wars, Indiana Jones you say Lord of the Rings going back to the Hobbit um, mm. Ghostbusters now oh the Ghostbusters one might actually be good that's like the one one mm. I actually have hope holding mm. out for but you know which which one is going to be the next one they think yeah that's uh <sighs> You know, Spider-Man's at about 20. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. But, Batman's um, had a couple now, hasn't he? So, Superman. Right. So, I mean, what what is going to be the next holy grail of cinema that gets a reboot or a remake? I'm just amazed they haven't actually C- tried making a proper remake of The Goonies yet. They kind of did with Super 8. Yeah, but Super, <laughs> 8, but Super 8 was shit. And I, I liked it. Like if you, want, if you wanted ET, a... wasn't it? Yeah, there was more ET. If you wanted a good like sort of Goonies ET ripoff remake thing, you go to Earth to Echo. But uh, yeah, like but I mean like like a proper actual full on. Let's dig up the name for Goonies and give it a try, kind of thing. Uh, so I'm trying to go through like eighties movies and that they're reverent, eighties nineties movies that people hold in reverence and that there. But all of them have been taken really. Yeah. Like Indep- Independence Day is getting a sequel. I just thought yeah. Karate Kid, and I remember that I actually got one five mm. years ago. Rocky, a waste of Jackie Rocky, Chan. Rocky's got another film coming out, hasn't it? That's yes, Creed, which I didn't, I didn't understand. 
right, the the trailer, right, because the the, the Apollo Creed son in the, in this, right, Apollo Creed died in like nineteen eighty five. So at the youngest, his son is a year old Lemmy, which is twenty nine, which is too old for an up and coming boxer. Which means the film makes no sense unless Apollo Creed freezed his sperm. You are you are asking for way too much um, intelligence and sense from a Rocky movie, Steve. I just I just want sense. Yeah, I just want sense. Do you not do you not remember how it, how Rocky Four ended with Rocky ending the Cold War in mutual respect? That's believable. David Hasselhoff. No, David, David, in a world where David Hasselhoff can bring down the Berlin Wall, Rocky can end the Cold War. Oh, oh god, I was about to, I was about to say um, Night Rider for reboot. I've actually tried doing that on TV a few years back. They did, did didn't they? Yes, they did. Without Hasselhoff, Gremlins could be in the line. Oh uh, god, uh, no, 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 no. Not unless they the... get Joe Dante. Not unless they get Joe Dante, and even then, that's really stretching it since he has like such contempt for Hollywood nowadays. Yeah, he seems oh. to. Um, them, but, uh, yeah. Justifiable though, let's face it. After how much they spent dicking him over. Yes, true. Um, but although, and although I must say, even though he dislikes it, I will always go to bat for the tunes back in action forever. I, I, well, that movie is great. I'll hear nothing from anybody else. <laughs> what we've been watching now, are we take a look at some of the non-new releases we've all watched in the last week uh, since we were with you last. And Owen, why don't you kick us off? I have changed what I was going to talk about because when I was talking to you earlier um, via email, I, I said I was going to talk about a Stephen Chow film, which I watched, called The God of Cooking, which was really quite fun. You know, if you've, anyone's ever enjoyed stuff like uh, Shaolin Soccer or Kung Fu Hustle, it's that guy. And uh, he makes very good, goofy comedies. Um, and this uh, is Kung... also quite good. Sorry, I just, wanted to, I just wanted to interject with Kung Fu Hustle is amazing. I, like, I bought it. I bought it on Blu-ray on a whim. Like I was kind of like, I've been wanting to watch this film for ages, but I don't know if it's good. Bought it on a whim for like three pounds from CX, and immediately did not like respect my choice. Work. It was that's a good yeah. choice. Yeah, it yeah. Is, it's a brilliant film. Um, but uh, I'm actually going to talk about something I watched this evening, mainly because it sort of ties into the fact we're going to review Terminator. I watched The Abyss by James Cameron mm-hmm. from 1989, which I uh-huh. have never seen before. It was kind of, I think it's pretty much the last big budget James Cameron film I've yet to see. Because I haven't seen Piranha 2, uh, which I will get around to at some point. <laughs> but, you know, everything else like Aliens, Avatar, the Terminator films, you know, I've, I've seen all those. So it's kind of like the last big one of his that he directed that I'm kind of, we're still waiting on. I was slightly underwhelmed by it, I have to admit. It was one of these where, um, it's happened to me a few times recently, where I didn't realise that a film was going to be PG-13. I've always had this image in my head of The Abyss being another 15, maybe 18 rated uh, horror film. But it's not at all. It's like, um, it reminded me a lot of Spielberg. Not just because there are aliens, it's also... Or, you know, there might not be aliens. They could just be like a weird undersea aquatic species, as it says on the, on the, the description on the IMDb page. But it's, it's essentially based on people on an oil rig um, who go and search for like a lost submarine that's got a nuclear bomb on it. And whilst they're down there, shit happens. They get stuck. 
they meet some weird alien creatures, blah, 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 blah. It's not really that exciting a film, and it is really long. It's, you know, two hours, 20 minutes, and it feels like a two hour, 20 minute film. Even some of the more perilous moments in the film, you you know, just because it's a PG-13, it's going to be all right in the end. And that's the really disappointing thing about The Abyss. There's no tension in it. People do not just get killed off throughout the film. You know, if this was made maybe five or six years earlier than it was by James Cameron, you can totally see this being an 18-rated disaster film. You know, people trapped under the ocean, um, being picked off by a mysterious foe, but it's nothing like that. It really isn't. So, yeah, so it's really disappointing. And I think uh, the, the acting in it isn't fantastic. However, I then started to read the trivia page on IMDb to work out what might have gone wrong with, with this one, because it was also considered at the time a flop. You know, it was it was made for a budget of nearly $70 million and supposedly only made like $54 million at the box office. So it was, you know, for a James Cameron film, that's a pretty big flop. Um, so I started reading about the trivia and everyone who worked on it hated being a part of this film. Ed Harris broke down in tears on a drive home after filming one day, just had to pull his car over to one side and just had like a panic attack about working on this. Nobody enjoyed it. Nobody. Yeah, because he nearly died. He nearly died. He almost drowned whilst filming it. He was um, in one of the underwater scenes and uh, he made a signal for the guy to come over to bring him the like oxygen tube or pump or machine or whatever it was going to be. And um, the guy who was trying to bring it over to him got stuck on the way there. So he couldn't get to Ed Harris in time, which meant someone else had to go and give Ed Harris this machine. But rather than give him the bit which sort of blows air into his mouth, he gave him the bit that blows water into his mouth. So he yeah, nearly died whilst making this. It was a hugely traumatic process. Uh, and as well as that, you know, they didn't really use any stunt people. Almost all of the underwater scenes that you see with the characters actually have the actors performing that. There's no, like, other gendered person in a wig trying to pretend to be, you know, Mary uh, Mastrantonio's character. It's just like, no, that is them under the water, trapped in helmets that are flooding full of water. Really horrible claustrophobic stuff that unfortunately doesn't really translate to, to the viewer until you start to read about the making of it, which is a shame because it looks like it would have been terrifying to make. But to watch, it's just a bit so-so. You mean like every James Cameron movie post-Terminator 2? Yes. Well, I like True Lies. True Lies is good. Oh, but... yeah, I forgot True Lies. It came out after True Lies then. Uh, everything after True Lies, yeah. So Titanic and Avatar. Oh, I really, really hope if those Avatar sequels just, like, stay in development hell forever. Please. They won't. There's no way. Really, like, look, look, has, has has any movie, like, been such a juggernaut of a, of a box office and then completely disappeared from the cultural conversation as much as Avatar has? Well, Avatar still gets referenced a lot by people in comparison to other box office films. You know, that's it, yeah. really. And no, also but, uh, by people like me who just sit there and go like, oh, yeah, Avatar, that was shit, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's weird, though. I do know people who genuinely like Avatar, and I'm not having to pop at anyone who does like it. I think everyone likes different films. Everyone's taste is different. And, you know, it is a big, massive box office film. If you were going to go and see something in 3D in 2009, 
it was a film everyone went to see. I can't help um, but feel like half, like the first half of that bit you went on there was like preeminent defense for when we talk about Terminator. <laughs> Mm, I, but uh, yeah, I suppose it is in a way. That wasn't my intention, <laughs> but yeah, I will put that there. So everyone's taste in films is different, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it kind of it is a huge film, and the the scope of it is pretty impressive. It's just not really, despite it, you know being visually stunning, not really that original or interesting. Is I remember. I also remember it being very preachy. Like, very excessively preachy as well. I have a very small um, James Cameron anecdote. I'm not going to name the person it happened to. It happened to a friend of mine who um, was doing some press for a film that James Cameron was promoting. It was Titanic. And so he was taking James Cameron up to his booth to see the film from. And on the way up there, he he had a friend. My friend had another friend who had got him tickets to this. And so he took a DVD along of Titanic, because that was the film that was being shown. It was his friend's sort of favourite film. He asked James Cameron to sign it for his friend. And James Cameron said, I hope you get laid out of this. As if that was the only reason to get Titanic signed or to go and see Titanic was that you were going with a female companion. Oh, yay. That's a bit creepy. what What a nice swell guy. It's ve- that's very creepy. Um, yeah. But, you know, from the guy who made something like True Lies, it doesn't really surprise me that he would say something like that. Yeah. But then I suppose coming from the guy who made Titanic, it is a bit surprising. Um, he made the flipping film, you know. It's just so like... He made Titanic hey. to try and get a load of dudes laid. So, yeah, essentially, that was what Basically, he was Basically, that was his ploy the whole time. That was his ploy. That yeah. was what oh, he intended. Yeah. Oh, also like also like directors making movies that they actually don't really does, get, like like that... or care about and that there is not exactly exclusive to James Cameron here as we'll discover when <laughs> I get around to my stuff. But does that make Titanic excusable as a film because it was fucking rubbish to watch? <laughs> no, 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 it's not. <laughs> okay, but yeah, that was it. That was my only bit about um, James Cameron. I don't have any more anecdotes and nothing that's happened to me firsthand. I'm afraid we're just not that famous. No, unfortunately. Anyway, I saw a film called Kingsman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For some reason, I wanted to see it. I never did. It completely bypassed me. I didn't manage to. But anyway, I've seen it now. Um, And it is, if people don't know, uh, a film about basically a chav who becomes a spy. Um, It's kind of in a. It's based on a. Is it a graphic novel novel or a comic? I can never remember which. Uh, Well, the same thing. Really? Yes, it's, it's like a, li- a, li- a limited run comic book. So, um, yeah, yes, yeah, so and it's got uh, Colin Firth, uh, Michael Caine, Mark Strong in the film. Um, I really enjoyed it. It um, is it's quite predictable in terms of the plot, in terms of what's going to happen. It doesn't really break any boundaries in terms of that. So you're kind of relying on the characters to be likable and good, and kind of the action and the and the script to be to be good. And it was. Um, <laughs> it worked. It had it had funny moments. Colin Firth was really good playing kind of against type because Colin Firth typically you think of as awkward upper class British man. He was upper class British man in this. He just wasn't awkward. Um, and the last two films I've seen him in this and they called Before I or Before You Go to Sleep. 
before uh, I oh, go yeah, to sleep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he was yeah. kind of playing completely different characters to what I usually see him play, and he's been really, really good in both of them. Um, well done on being as vague as possible with before I go to sleep. There, by the way, I just... <laughs> he's really good in a single man. That's his definitely his best performance. And ah, uh, yeah, he plays. Um, a gay uh, guy in the 50s, I think, or 60s. 60s, um, I believe. Is it 60s? Yeah. He so. He's just exceptional in that film. Really outstanding. Um, in fairness, Colin but, is great in pretty much everything anyway, though. So he's, he's been very good or great in everything I've seen him in. But, he, yeah. but for most of the things I've seen him in, all right, I haven't seen his whole back catalogue of films, he is playing the same kind of character in a lot of them. Which is, like I say, upper class, awkward British man. Which is not a douchey Hugh Grant, basically. Yeah, yeah. a likeable Hugh Grant. Grant. <laughs> uh, I suppose he does that his very best when he was playing the king in the king's speech. That you can't get much upper class than the king. Hmm. Um, but you know, and um, and Eggsy is about as close to Danny Dyer playing James Bond as you're going to get, I think. Just thankful that actually being well, Danny Dyer. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, Danny Dyer playing James Bond would be a, a fantastic <laughs> thing for everyone, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> None more so than Danny Dyer. Hey, since hey, since Idris Elba's ruled himself out, it's the only logical um, next step. Isn't where, it? where do you go next? He has got a stage career, hasn't he, Danny Dyer? <laughs> yes. They've just announced they're going to do a Bond musical. So, you know, that, Wait, that really? could be a perfect marriage. Yeah. There's going to be a musical. Why wasn't that in the news? Oh, that's wow. News, that's news. <laughs> that, that is, that is, that is, that is, that is for that, news. Yeah, that is what you class as news that goes in the news segment that we do every week. <laughs> Not waiting for us to by chance mention Danny Dyer. Yes. <laughs> we mention Danny Dyer every week. The, the things we mention every week are Danny Dyer, you hating Star Wars, United Passions and Kill Keith. <laughs> we do name check those two films an awful lot. It's, it's, I feel bad for anybody who puts up a drinking game for this. Like, their liver must just be shot by this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I thought this because there was a scene between Colin First's character and Samuel Jackson's character, the villain Richard, Richmond Valentine, um, where it was basically taking the mick out of the old James Bond films. I didn't think that was kind of heavy handed, where it could have been really kind of sort of stupid and out of place but it uh, felt it worked um i said the, the plot was kind of by the books there was one twist in it which you probably would have seen coming if you've seen films before but <laughs> um but no overall it's a really enjoyable film um and definitely worth watching if you've seen it already i like, oh, how, yeah, you made I... Through that entire, I like how you made it for that entire piece without mentioning the church yeah because that's the most famous scene and also the joke at the end so the joke, the joke at the end was fine with me um didn't have a problem i don't know why some people well, i know why some people have a problem with it. it's fine it worked in the context of the film and the context of the main character worked fine There's the action scenes in it were really well done and really well choreographed and looked yeah. brilliant like like I, I i was watching out of the cinema and like i think it got to it wasn't even before the church bit about that like it was just before that that I sat there and thought, Matthew Vaughan is the best director of action in mainstream cinema today. Like, like, like he, like he is. Like in terms, of, like in terms of Hollywood movies out there, like he's just got such like a style and a verve and a way of being able to make action sequences just pop with inventiveness and clarity. Like a way of not shaking the camera, not trying to hide, like being straight on with this inventiveness. But in a way that's just not that most directors nowadays just don't. 
And it was especially John as well, because like three days, because like two weeks beforehand, I'd seen Tac Freen as well, and was reminded of just how awful most action sequences can be in films nowadays. Do you, do you think a lot of action directors are being stifled by having to make their action films 12A so they can't show people dying properly? They, that doesn't seem to stop Terminator Genesis, which for some reason is a 12A and really shouldn't be. Uh, possibly. Maybe. It's like, all, all, this, all this horrible violence is okay, kids, because they're robots. See, we, 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 can show skin, we can show skin being ripped off. It's fine. They're robots. It's not it's real people. It's getting you desensitised for when they rise up. Yeah, maybe a 12 at most. I think they edit a lot of stuff out and lots of things you don't see on screen. Yeah. To be but fair. that's still not a real excuse for like action sequences that don't have any like actual weight to anything, like no real pop mm. or inventiveness. Mm. But Matthew Vaughan just goes for it all the time. Like he just seems to just get it. Which can either be read as a sad state on modern Hollywood filmmaking or just really high praise for Matthew Vaughan. I choose the I choose the latter. I think he's the best of the bunch that are out there at the moment. I do like um Gareth Evans, but I don't really think we can yeah. class him as Hollywood just yet. No. No, mm-hmm. not not, and I won't want him to go Hollywood as well. No, I want him to no. just keep making films of himself here, because otherwise he'll get swallowed up by that studio system and forced to make PG thirteen martial arts movies. And look, I've seen look, after the raid two, I can't I can't see a Gareth Evans movie that's not R rated now. I can't. Uh, Callum, what have you seen this week? Uh, I've got two here. One of which is technically a contractual obligation, and the other one is a <laughs> apparently podcast obligation. Um, also, uh, well. Um, future Bond things, Emily Blunt for Bond. There we go. Just making my general mention there. Moving on. Uh, right, James, I got a screen. Name's Bond, Jane Bond. On, <laughs> em- hey, Emily Blunt would fucking kill that role, and you know it. Like she would be amazing. Did you watch Edge of Edge of Tomorrow? Have you seen the trailer for Sicario? Okay, she she can do it. She can. Sorry, getting sidetracked. Moving what, on. What would annoy uh, people more, Black Bond or Woman Bond? Hey, 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 hey. Either Meltdown's fine with me. I just know there are two people who would absolutely murder that role with, with relish and glee. And, it's like, we're getting distracted. Moving on. Yes. Or, yeah, or moving on. Black woman bond. <laughs> oh, Black yeah. disabled woman bond. There Black go. disabled woman Muslim bond. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, right, I got a screener this week sent up from Owen um, and it was one of those lovely screeners that has a, gi- a giant watermark in the centre of the image that's not completely see-through and it sits there the entire time skewing half of you and dragging me attention I love those kinds of screeners guys my yeah, favourite screeners yeah. keep sending them like that they're all like that as far as I can tell do we get good screeners I get the we, weird ones, apparently. Because the, cause the only, <laughs> well, yeah, I think the last one I managed to watch was was the French one um, that me and you got that was remastered from like the thirties. It was actually really, yeah. it was actually really good. And we are many we got recently, and I sent that one over to Nick. He reviewed that on the website. Oh, isn't that supposed to be good? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, good little political documentary. Um, yeah. But there was a reason that I sent this one over to you, Callum, yes. because. Well, I'll let you explain it. I'll let you explain yes. it. Anyways, uh, yeah, um, it is a movie called Furious, which was a 1984 um, martial arts movie uh, being remastered for the first time, like remastered and released on DVD properly for the first time. Um, it's been apparently been a favourite on Torrent Size Forever and is apparently notable for being the film debuts of Simon and Philip Ree, um, who are apparently B-movie martial arts stars, like, haven't heard of them again again i'm getting into b movies at the moment here um and i haven't written a review for it because there's really not much to say it's uh, it's terrible it's terrible (laughs) 
Like, it's not, it's not because, like, like, and normally when I say in relation to being movies of it's terrible, I then follow it on with, and by terrible, I mean brilliant, and by brilliant, I mean hilarious, but here it's just terrible. Um, bearing in mind, this comes with a caveat of the fact that I watched it on a Sunday night, like, I started watching it on Sunday night about, like, half past midnight. So, got so um like i'm still not entirely certain that half this stuff didn't get made up in my brain um but <laughs> like it's just it's really bad um the plot like the plot itself um starts off relatively simple uh like there's a uh, i believe it's uh simon v uh plays a martial arts teacher of a school you know teaching kung fu to children uh, when he finds out that his sister has been murdered by like whilst using a magical thing, elephant tusk, to hunt for something magical on that bear. And it goes off on a roaring rampage of revenge. Yeah. Uh, it starts off relatively sane, and then takes a turn into just being utterly bizarre. Like, there's a... There's a I think there's a clone army at one point, possibly aliens. Uh, there's a magician that turns people into chickens, because... <laughs> okay... <laughs> Uh, there's a fight. There's a uh, fight scene later on where he fights a magician. Magician spell rebounds off of a mirror and turns him into a pig. Um, it's it's I I don't I don't get this movie. Um, like plot, like so it makes no sense. Um, there's also pretty much very little dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's mostly just told like and but not even in the sense of you know like like silent movie or dialogue like, where everybody does actual like acting their faces and stuff and their entire plot. Instead, it's just these really extended sequences of just nothing happening. You know, like, people just running through, uh, like, running through a field of just, like, of not having any patience, like, holding that shot for, like, 20 seconds. Or yeah. a man just, like, spending forever just staring off into the distance and accomplishing nothing. Kind of, like, and this is a 72-minute movie as well, and yet it's padded to hell and back. Um, the fight sequences are awful. Like, they are just, <laughs> they are just awful. Like, no, like, there's, uh, have you ever, uh, have either of you guys seen The Last Airbender? Yeah, God, uh, sake, that was you know one of you, you, you know how those fight scenes were done in a sense where like it would have ten hundred people in the background, those would just like stand around waiting, like doing nothing, clearly doing nothing, whilst like the one guy t- goes up to mark the next guy. Not even in the typical martial arts movie sense, you know, of like people even like being in like fighting position and that there, but like just stood there doing nothing <laughs> uh, with punches that never ever look like they connect or anything. Um, <laughs> It's it's like it sounds awful as well. Like like the actual sound design is awful. Like there's no actual like there's pretty much no sound effects or oh, music. Like, like, there's just like this constant drone in the background, but like of like near silence and any punches instead just sound like just sound like if I'm slapping my wet hand. Like like <laughs> instead of actually anybody hitting each other. Like enough and sounds frequently go out of sync with one another. And again, it's just like it's so bad. Like. It, this should be hilarious, and it is at times hilarious, but mostly it's just so badly made that I kind of just sat there feeling sorry for people. Like, <laughs> half, like half feeling sorry for everybody involved, and then half just kind of, no, this is unacceptable. Like, this is just bad. And then as well, there are points where I started to think that this crossed over into purposely try, trying to be so bad it's good. Um, specifically, the point where at the end for my, like the magician fight, where um, like it turns to a pig, and then there's this random monologue where the pig just says ridiculous random things, stuff like, <laughs> I, am, I am your mother, or I am your father, and I sat there like, oh, oh. Like, <laughs> as I realised, I'm either watching a gag dub, like a really unfunny gag dub, or this is a film that was trying to be so bad it's good, and those are always the worst. Like, you can't make a so bad it's good movie on purpose. 
Like that's that, that's the point. The point is that the, the, well, those kinds I, of movies, well, at their best, like at their best, like for most of the time, like those movies are made by people who are genuinely trying to make a great movie out of terrible ideas, but are just too inept to pull it off properly. Like if, if you sit down and go, I'm going to try and make a purposely bad movie, you're usually just going to get a terrible movie. Uh, <clears throat> Kevin Smith. <clears throat> <laughs> Uh, I was going to say Kung Fury. Have you seen Kung Fury? I have not seen Kung Fury, but I plan to. I, I plan to. I've heard amazing okay. things about it. But also, yeah, I don't... Kung, Kung Fury basically sounds like... Uh, oh, sorry. This uh, Furious sounds like everything that Kung Fury would take the piss out of. Yeah. Well, okay. I, that's the thing as well, because from what I've heard, Kung Fury sets out to be a parody instead of like yeah, instead yeah. of being a purposeful, so bad, it's good movie. Like, there's a fine <laughs> line for semantics there. You're like, it's just not very good. Like, it's just not good. Apparently, it's a cult classic. Yeah, I guess from people who are way better at being able to make fun of abysmal movies than I am. But <laughs> I, I, halfway through the movie, I even went on YouTube to check this wasn't a Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode at some point. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it wasn't, incidentally, which is a shame because it should be. Okay, and Callum, what else did you watch this week? I can join your club and say that I watched United Passions. Right, so, so Callum, um, I think we established this last week um, because it, it might sound a bit daft saying this on a film podcast, but this film podcast was kind of in some ways born out of a football podcast. Um, yeah. And most of the regular guests we have on are football fans. Even though we don't talk about football extensively on the podcast. Uh, so, but you're not actually a football fan yourself, are you Callum? Not really. No. no. Although, um, I have, although I have been seeing clips of the women's world cup and thinking I should probably watch women's football more often. Cause it actually looks better than, act- than male football. So you, but they they did very well to be fair to them. Yes. No. Yeah. No. No. Like of actual people who seem to be having fun playing the game, and you know, and have an actual sense of team spirit camaraderie. But, of, but, yeah, but we're going to do good but, here. We're not. But you get that the lower down English yeah. football. You go to lower league English football, and you'll get the same thing. It's um, only the mega rich Premier yeah. League and Championship players. That yeah. Are, you get yeah. you get to sort of the third division downwards, and it's got a fourth division downwards, especially. It's the same kind of uh, atmosphere. Um, is the women's but yeah I gotta get you but anyway you, you, you're yeah. um, typically a football fan how much did you know about FIFA and the current scandal before I have been paying attention to the news and I have watched last week tonight so I am aware of FIFA's status to, to be fair any, anyone who isn't just being the worst yeah. just being the worst yeah. for anyone who isn't a, a football fan and wants to understand FIFA, just watch anything that John Oliver's put out about them recently because yeah it, definitely it exp- not only does he does he take the mick out of them uh, 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 hilariously he explains it because he's obviously going to an American audience primarily he does really explain it excellently to people who aren't familiar with the beautiful game and also last, and also stuff last year as well that he put out around the time of the Brazil yeah. World Cup yeah that was, that was the best bit I think did he uh, do something on the Daily Show as well or was it just last week tonight I think it was just the first thing I saw was the last week tonight when he done it last year just before the Brazil World Cup yeah um, I think you probably would have talked about it on um, last, like on Daily Show, occasional points. But I think, for, I think, or as they call it, soccer is only something Americans <laughs> have just started paying yeah. attention to. Yeah. Although I yeah. think like they're now the women's world champions, though. So they've, they, 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 they've been um, typically very good at women's football since women's football became. Um, you know, they've had a women's World Cup. The USA have been one of the better teams internationally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which whether, is great, whether, seeing as FIFA doesn't seem to give a shit about women's football. Shorter skirts, you guys. Well, <laughs> well not if you believe everything in United Passions. <laughs> yeah, Blatter is solely responsible for the promotion of 
women's football. <laughs> and saving Africa as well. Yeah, and saving, saving Africa, saving Africa from itself. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, sorry, we keep interrupting right. you. Carry on, Callum. What did you think of United Patterns? <laughs> I, I thought it was a hilarious deadpan comedy. Do you have any <laughs> respect left for Tim Roth? <laughs> I, look, look, look. Okay. Look, he, he, Fox, ca- Fox cancelled Lie to Me, okay? Fox drove Tim Roth to this, okay? They cancelled <laughs> his steady paycheck, and so he had to take a film like this, okay? Uh, but God, like, just like, it's a, it's like, no, this film was just hilarious. Like it, what? Like it's so bad and and hysterical. Like so, much, just for Waver, it's such a blatant hagiography about itself. How FIFA are just these saints who are trying to unite the world through football. And oh, why are the English just so racist, sexist assholes <laughs> who won't respect our authority? And oh, why why did Germany have to start World War Two? We just wanted to unite the world through the power of football. Uh, why is this journalist coming it's, to a, like it's trying a, to incise about corruption scandals? About just this poor, we're just this poor non-profit organisation is always teetering on the brink of financial ruin. We're just, poor us, poor, pity us, please pity us. Incidentally, didn't they give one of the World Cups prior to World War II to a Nazi Germany? If I remember, if I remember, if I remember like, there was yeah, like one sequence there where like Gerard Depardieu was sat, was sat there at a table trying to stop like Nazi Germany from beating Nazi Germany because FIFA just had that much foresight, you yeah. see. The, no, sorry, it was the, it was the 19, 19, 1934 World Cup was held in, <laughs> held in Italy, yeah. which was a bit of a, oh, yeah, yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. dodgy place at the time. Oh, oh God, the, de- the, death ga- the death game sequence is, some, is five minutes of the most unintentionally hilarious film I've seen in ages. <laughs> like, I said, just sits there, just the most mournful soundtrack. As everybody there with the most stern face of a jar, Depardieu just sits there and goes, we weren't there. We weren't there. It wasn't official. It wasn't official. We weren't there. I mean, it's so broken up by this that he goes home, like on a rainy day, stares forlornly in the dark at a picture of a football team. And gets down on his knees and prays to a cross. But the cross dissolves. <laughs> the cross dissolves into the Christ statue at, in, like in Rio de Janeiro, in Brazil. And I actually had to pause the movie for three straight minutes because I was laughing too much. <laughs> if you my, said, brother, like, if my you... brother even walked into the room at that point, just to, like just like you know, about ice cream, saw that bit, and proceeded to just like fall down on the floor laughing. Like it was hilarious. <laughs> it's it's funded primarily by FIFA. It wasn't a nineteen million. Dollar budget 20, 25, 25 million. But sixteen million pounds of the budget was provided by FIFA. I mean, not that yeah. this film looks like it cost twenty five million. Exactly. It just—it's absolutely horrendous. I mean, it's—it's it's probably libel. This is probably libel. As far as I know, I, 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 don't, I've read, I think it's... I think FIFA have got bigger problems at the moment than you libeling them. But it's, it's <laughs> well, slandering, technically, I suppose. It's a... <laughs> Yeah. It's a money laundering process making United yeah. Passions. They keep playing it off as it was, you know, completely, you know, lots of fabrication and fictionalized events, etc., etc. But the idea was to make people understand what FIFA's role in football did, did, is. Did you, did you see, well, did you see the interview with Seth Blatter where they said, uh, "So FIFA's a, a non-profit organization." Yes, and you've got three billion dollars in the bank. Just yes. sat underneath yeah. FIFA. It's, it's, it's a surplus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for a rainy day. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, it's, I, it's criminal. It literally is. The, the thing, the thing is, you can you can criticize the current FIFA regime validly, but what they do do is they give a lot of money to developing nations 
Um, and so, so, so England or Spain at the top of football will get the same amount of money from FIFA every year as what Micronesia, who have just been embarrassed by everyone and scored and conceded yeah. like 141 goals in three games, lost 46 nil to Vanuatu. Um, excellent book you can read about that team called Up Pop Ney as well. Um, but anyway, um, so they get the same amount of money. What happens to the money when it gets there is, complete, yeah. is a completely different matter. It, bu- it buys votes, basically. Yes, That's it basically buys votes, which is why all the big footballing powerhouse nations will try to vote against FIFA, but all the smaller nations who have the same equivalent vote, rightly so, will vote yeah. vote the current regime back in. Yeah. It's, so, it's weird. It's weird that United Passions never went into never no. went into detail about it's, that. It's, it's weird that such a democratic system of electing a leader can lead to such a corrupt organisation. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, no, no, no. This this film is. I I I had a load of fun. This film is. One of my favorite things was I uh, read a quote from a director. Um, you know, I mean, I'm gonna have to shine the light on here because it's dark and I haven't got a light on. Uh, like the director, um, Frederic Albert, like Albertine. Um, no, um, said in an interview that um, he feels like being tagged as the director of this movie is like being the guy who brought AIDS to Africa or the guy <laughs> who caused the financial crisis, right, which is just. Like, is that no, because of how he's been made, how he's been um, portrayed by people because of it, or is it because he's ashamed of it? I mean, I, uh, well, it's, it's a bit of both, I think, to be honest. Like he, yeah. I, as far as I can tell, he hates, he absolutely hates working on it. Apparently, he tried really hard to make it, like to insert things to make it a stealth parody. In the same way that well, Tim Roth tried to play yeah. Seth Blatter, apparently tried to play Seth Blatter as corrupt as possible without getting in trouble for being too obvious and mission accomplished on both fronts i guess yeah uh, but yeah no no but i can tell you right now this will not be on my on my worst list of the year because i had too much fun laughing at it there there it, like, it's, well, ter- it's a terrible movie but my worst list is not for terrible movies it's for movies that anger me and i was just having too much fun laughing at this movie and it's ridiculous overall continue cutting backs to these kids playing football uh, like throughout the film, for just the most obvious emotional manipulation, and continue focusing on 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 the girl footballer as well, because FIFA are just so supportive of women, as we all know. Yeah, obviously, because Seth Blatter was the person who made it possible for women to be able to play football. That was yeah, his, no, w- that's what w- he did, women, w- women would never have played football if it weren't for Seth Blatter championing yeah. that cause, and fighting the good puts, fight. And then he puts forward brilliant ideas to improve the women's game like bringing in shorter shorts yeah. more aerodynamic yeah, yeah. set 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 blatter is good at finding money direct quote from the movie and also the yeah. most truthful fucking line yeah yeah <laughs> oh god sorry this this movie did you did you know in men's football you get a booking for taking your shirt off after celebrating a goal in women's football you don't is that true no, i made that up you bastards! Yeah, you right, me then. Uh, so, I, so I just remembered now. There's a sequence in this movie in which Sam Neil, like in which Sam Neil, because for some reason Sam Neil's in this movie, uh, like sits that, like plays with little um, t- tabletop football things, and kids go, "It's what you do." Is like something like it's what you do on legal. It's like yes, it is legal for I am God, and it's treated as this. Yes, you are God, Sam Neil. Well done for bringing football and educating football to these. Like to these people who deserve better, who deserve the football in the world. So this movie is hilarious. I think I think the point of that is that because you know Joel Havilland as well is not without his own share of um, you know rumors and stuff. But that was basically to to even then blatantly show Seth Blatter is better than the last guy. 
So Seth Blatter is better than God in this yeah. film. <laughs> yeah. It's just <laughs> unbelievable that film. Time now to re- uh, review some new releases uh, from this last week. And up first is Callum reviewing Magic Mike XXL, the sequel to last year's, I think, somewhat surprised. 2012. 2012. Oh, was it that long ago? It was on yeah, look, our first year of the podcast. Jesus. So, yeah. Yeah. Look, um, look Steve, Steve, I realise that Soderbergh hasn't actually been as re- has a weird definition of retirement, but that was made three years ago, <laughs> don't worry. Yeah. Uh, yes, anyway, uh, the original Magic Mike film, which I think was a bit of a surprise success, wasn't it? Um, yeah. I think, I think when we um, when we spoke about it originally back in last year or 2012, whatever it was, <laughs> it was because um, they kind of marketed it in a way where it was just a film for women about men taking their clothes off when it was actually, a f- when you actually watched the film, a fair bit more than that. It was about a man who didn't want to yeah. take his clothes off, really. Yeah, it, yeah, it, was like, it, it, was a, it was a very serious dramedy about the recession and the way that, it, and the, way the male entertainment industry traps people who have higher life ambitions into it and yeah. suck them up and destroy them. That way, you know, Basically, people stuff. went to see the original Magic Mike expecting to get Magic Mike XXL, and instead they got a, an actual Soderbergh film. Yeah. And no, yeah. people and it's great. have like, that film they want with yeah. XXL. Yeah. So, so people yeah. got the opposite then this time around. People going expecting to see more of Magic Mike got yeah, an actual stripper a film thing. about men taking yeah. their clothes off. Well, not exactly. But we'll go on to that in a second. But like, also, I want to know, um, like, I, I, I do really, despite the thing I say that, I do actually really enjoy the first Magic Mike. Um, like, it, it's, I mean, it's a Soderbergh movie, so of course it's great. But. Uh, or Soderbergh movie, however you pronounce it. In any case, um, Soderbergh is not directing this one because he's retired, you see. Um, but he is hand- but he does handle cinematography and editing under pseudonyms because Soderbergh has a weird definition of retirement. I think basically um, it's because Gregory Jacobs is his mate. That's yeah, yeah Gregory it. Jacobs' first AD from every Soderbergh movie from like 95, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Up to the time that is directing this one. Um, and also for what records, while Soderbergh is still pulling triple duty on the Nick, I believe as well. Um, again, weird definition of retirement, that man. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, yeah. Um, so, yeah, in a way, Magic Mike XXL is like it's just is in the business of giving the people what they want. It is exactly what you were told the first one's going to be, and it, and what this one has been advertised to be. It is basically 115 minutes of really, really ridiculously good-looking men gyrating in every direction there is to gyrate. And broken up, broken up by sequences in which they just bond and blow out together. Um, incidentally, uh, um, uh, incidentally, those guys for those who are wondering are Channing Tatum, Matt Bomer, Joe Maganiello, um, Kevin Nash, and Adam Rodriguez. Um, Matthew McConaughey and Alex Pettifer are not here. Um, in story, they've buggered off and uh, like they've buggered off to McCaw to start off a um, like start a trip of business there, and it means the Kings of Tampa are off on one last ride to the annual 2015 male stripper convention, and that is actually what it's called. Even says so on a sign outside a hotel. God, I love this movie; it's ridiculous. But, 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 um, but how is that possible? Because the whole thing about Magic Mike was Mike didn't like. Ah, you see, hang on, hang on, hang on, get into that, get into that. Um, Mike is called back it. Mike um, has his custom furniture business, and it's doing quite well. It's doing quite, but he's unfulfilled. Like it's not, like it's not giving, it's not giving him the success he wants. Plus, um, Cody Horn from the first movie left him at some point for various undetermined okay. reasons. Um, so 
when the boys get back in contact with him, like when they're passing through, um, like when they're passing through Miami on the way up to Myrtle Beach, the stripper convention, it really takes pretty much no convincing whatsoever for Mike to go on for Mike to take the weekend off and join the guys on their trip down to Myrtle Beach. Um, and that's the film is them going up to the stripper convention and then stripping at the end of the movie for 25 straight minutes in between whilst in between being laced with scenes of them hanging out and getting into various adventures. Um, so again, in a way it is essentially just giving the people what they want. Like again, like, like this is the magic Mike movie you were expecting here. Um, but in a way as well, it's actually really genuinely progressive in the way that like, because of it being blatant fan service, I can already tell that you two are rolling your eyes in like, or raising your eyebrows <laughs> in befuddlement here. So allow me to explain. Um, so the first Magic Mike movie, because it was always laced in this kind of dour, serious, like, it, I mean, it was a funny movie, but it, like always have a streak of sadness and misery running through it because everybody in the film was, you know, sad and misery and didn't want to be in male stripping for the rest of their life. Um, especially after well, because Soderbergh himself shot, like, shot every single one of those stripping sequences like he was... Like, like, like he kind of reg- like was resentful yeah. of having resentful of having to put them there, like as if they were getting in the way of this really serious dramedy. He would like for you to pay attention to, damn it. Um, so in the end, it ended up coming off as this kind of film that was acting more as like a cautionary tale of like the male stripping male entertainment business um, than a celebration of it. Um, XXR, by contrast, doesn't have anything running through it like that. Um, like there are moments of the ca- of the guys wondering what they're going to do when this is over, like what their jobs are going to be, because they don't really have anything else or many particular skills outside of stripping. Um, but those feel token at best. Instead, it's more just like a celebration because these guys love what they do. Like they love what they do. They're passionate about what they do, and they and because of that, the film is filled with kind of joy about the entire act of it here. Like it doesn't look down on it. It looks like it, it's this kind of thing that is worthy of. Uh, praise. Um, Donald Glover shows up at one point, uh, like turns up at one point there. Um, and his character, um, called Andre, is a guy whose thing at a club, which we'll, and we'll come back to this specific club in a bit later, is that um, he is used to pick out one specific girl in a crowd and make them feel special. Like, a, like he'll seven eight, like he'll seven eight them with a half song, half rap improv song about them and then strip. And so he's like, make them feel wanted. And then in a monologue shortly afterwards there, he essentially just sits and explains that he initially took the job thinking he'd hate it, like purely to um, like support his rap career. Like, like so he'd get funds coming in and he thought he'd hate it. He thought he'd like despise it. He thought he'd feel shame about it, but he doesn't. Like he loves what he does um, because like first off, because of how many women he gets to meet um, like on a, on a regular basis. And because like they provide a service for them, like, because the women who turn up to these things, like he says, and, for film girls, nobody's discreet here. Are women who essentially like who have guys who just don't really care about them, like who don't ask them what they want. They don't care what they want. And these guys are in the business of giving them what they want. They're in the business of making them feel better, to make them feel like they are wanted and desirable and good for just a few minutes. And that it's a genuine public service that's to be proud of. And he's proud of it. He is happy of it. And the film agrees with him. And he even notes that if his rap career were to take off like the next day, he'd still try and find a way to keep doing it on the side because he loves doing it that much because he loves the feeling it gets from making these women feel good. So the film ends up like as a kind of like genuinely positive about the whole experience of male stripping. Like it's not this kind of thing that people are forced into against their will as a kind of as a way of having to make ends meet. Like something like you can get genuine enjoyment from doing what you do. And these guys do like these guys love what they do. And the film radiates that kind of joy. Um, which is profoundly different to anything else, like to most depictions of this kind of thing in film. Um, 
then also there's the way in which like these guys just kind of hang out with each other. Uh, like these guys are bros, like like they are actually like like you know full on bros kind of guys. But then but they're bro like if entourage is the um, encapsulation of everything wrong with bro culture, you know, like you know misogynistic bullying like twerp assholes who are just like the worst of humanity out here. Uh, Magic Mike's kind of proof that brohood doesn't is the best of bros like the idea of bro and the idea and the idea that brohood doesn't need to be this kind of toxic ma- like masculinity type thing like these are guys who um who, like who genuinely care for each other and respect for each other um and who resolve all their problems by talking about things like that like there's a bit where mike like where mike ends up having pissed off uh ken matt bomer um who like about thing and offers him to and offers him a free punch like thinking that would solve things and help clear the air between them but all it does is make everybody feel worse and then after that everybody's problems in the film there's and if there are problems between them they're very rare because these guys all love each other i was all through talking like these guys just talk uh there's like they may tease each other about things like ken for example finds himself to be a grade three um rahiki healer kind of thing like into spiritual mumbo jumbo and that comes in for deserved like mockery but not like but it's, it comes from a place of like genuine warmth and kindness instead of just like pushing over to straight up bullying uh when joe Maginello, who plays big dick richie um professes a desire to try and find the one girl because well funnily enough it turns out when you have a big dick um that mostly just intimidates women up there and he which means he has to have sex and he just and just wants to find like the one woman who doesn't care about that and just like you know cares for him and it's like, quite quite relatable the, then yeah yeah. yeah, like I'm a guy. Like I'm the guys are completely supportive about it. Like, like they don't make fun of him for it. They don't insult his desire to try and find the one. They just like they're fine with it. And though they may, you know, still ask each other each morning if they had sex with women, although they, although they don't ask that more, just ask, did, did you bangy? Because they're children, kind of essentially. Um, like they do so. Like nobody's laid into if they haven't been um, had sex. Like if they haven't had sex, and they are completely respectful of women. Like on the job, they are professional, and even off the job, they are respectful for women. Don't want them to keep having sex with them. Like one of the linchpins of the film is uh, Mike strikes up his friendship with a uh, possibly bisexual um, drag queen stripper called um, Zoe, played by Amber Heard. Um, and initially, it seems like he wants to like sleep with her, but she just rejects that. And instead, they just become friends for the rest of the movie, like teasing friends. Whether she's making fun of him for being for preferring cookies over cake because cookie people can't be trusted, as we all as is correct. I don't know people. I I, I don't I don't trust people who prefer cookies to cake. I don't. What cake is about, amazing. What um, about a cake with cookies uh, in it? Ah, uh, you see, um, uh, I believe Mike even brings that up as a thing as well. Let's see. And again, this is and what's a Jaffa cake? Because yeah. it's technically a biscuit. Can you stop derailing my review, please? I'm trying to ensure we get. I'm trying to ensure we get out of here in time. I'm, I'm bringing um, up the big questions. Um, and he and he later on teases her by giving her the lap dance to end all lap dances at the end of the movie. Um, like it's again, it's this wonderful, like respectful kind of atmosphere that there of just joy and happiness of people who genuinely care. And also, it's worth noting as well um, how committed this film is to the female gaze and the homosexual gaze. Like. Um, Top like men like well, like men in film like when they take their shirts off and up there usually aren't shot in a way that's meant to go oh ladies like normally when it's done in a way it's meant to be as a way of men like for them it's still shot in male gaze a way of to know of look at how strong these guys are look how powerful their bodies are like look how this denotes how strong as a man they are and how manly they are um, kind of way it's not really for like entertainment here XXR then ends up shooting like it ends up just shooting its stripper sequences in a way that's not 
that's just completely free of that. Like, when it comes time for men to rip off their clothes and gyrate around in various directions, it is done with the entertainment that you, that uh, for women, like that straight women, gay men, and bisexual audience members worldwide will ju- uh, are there to go, yep, yeah, this is what you want, here you go. Like, these are people being put on display for you to enjoy having, like, looking at and metaphorically raining dollar bills over. Um, like, it's, and it's different. Like, um, I've read a lot, of, I've seen a lot of people go on about how, oh, if this film were, like, if this film were gender swap with women, it would be sexist and misogynistic. And, you'd be calling it, and I go, yes, but that's because that's the norm in movies. Like, w- like women in movies, like, when they strip them out there, are typically done in a way of just, like, to be more exploitative images for men. But Magic Mike XXL instead is done for the opposite there. It's exploitative interest for women. It's something different. And again, it's done in this way where it's just purposely being done as this wonderful entertainment. And it's so committed to that. That, that, that it's just joyous like, and wonderful. And it's so wonderfully different to see. And, and yeah, I'm, and I'm going to admit here, as much as I could say that it's all because of those fit, like that I love a film because of those things, I'm going to say, hear me, I love this film because Joe Maginello walks into a gas uh, into a gas station sh- shop um, high on MDMA and proceeds to use the entire, entire store as sexual innuendo. Uh, be- well, barely qualifies as innuendo and barely stays away from straight up sex, whilst the Backstreet Boys plays on the, like, plays on the soundtrack. And which incidentally, I went to see this film with my friend Lucy, who co-hosts my radio show Screen One with me. Uh, there, and um, she made an actual full-on audible gasp of pure glee excitement when Backstreet Boys, I Wanted That Way, came on the stage. Because she adores Backstreet Boys right there as well. So when it actually came on, she realised this was happening. She, It was a magical moment. And I was right there with her, feeling exactly the same way. Like I love, I love this movie because Matt Bomer has the voice of an angel, a body like a Michelangelo sculpture, and eyes that can just turn any human being bomosexual for me the slightest like exposure to it and this film milks them for all it's worth i love this movie because channing tatum says says the name of his character whilst twirling out of the room and it's the dreamiest fucking thing i've ever seen in my entire life like like yes from, it's from probably... everything you've sort of described i literally do not understand why as a sort of sort of straight man why you would enjoy it because it just sounds exactly well this, like... is, the, well, but, well, this is the thing um i'm much less confident in my straightness as a sexuality like in ages that i'm pretty sure i might actually be bisexual quite frankly so right okay yeah but like, like this this film is kind of like made for me it's made differently like it's made for other people for once here it's it's something different it's something pure and it's so committed to being that that even if it's not you, you at least have to sit there and admire its commitment to being something for somebody else like Again, for this usually underserved um, category of your like of the audience here. So then, when the film does eventually just dissolve into a finale of twenty five straight minutes of male stripping of like one of each of the guys having a big centerpiece moment after the other, and then immediately smash cutting into credits because why else are you here? Uh, like you have to, you if you're a guy, you have to respect it, and if you're in the audience as four, you sit there and you lap up every last second of that glorious display also um very quickly before we move on here uh, one last thing is that even in a movie which for being the view like if you're the viewer and the target audience here is the equivalent of being the cheese in the middle of a delicious beefcake sandwich for 115 minutes here the film is nearly stolen by a outstanding jada pinkett smith uh, I, um see she plays roma who is an MC? Who is the MC and host, like hostess and owner of this country club, like in backwoods Louisiana, whatever, that there, um, for coloured women, like for mainly coloured women, um, who are I, I and you know with black men about there, like in a mansion type thing, about like she is the hostess of that, 
and is, she is, is amazing. Is the correct term these days? Uh, it's it's I, it's hard to tell because like, um, I think it's it's not just like black women there as well. Like there's some Latinas and some Asian about there. It's it's not it's not. I realize it's not the best that can that we can come up with here, but I, I realize it's not ideal. But it's the best I can come up with this, at that time. I apologize if I've got it wrong. And I will <laughs> say I, I, again. I want to say this. I genuinely mean this. Um, I apologize if I um, said the wrong term here, and, and I'll strive to find to do better. Um, but like, and she is just amazing in this. Like, she radiates confidence. That there, she like she walks on stage, refers to all of her audience members as queens, and treats them as such. And that there, and they lap it up. She sends like her Adonises um, after plus size women because plus size women also deserve this kind of treatment there, and she gets that. She's um, like she's um, strong and able to control the broy tendencies of the guys, but is not a humorless killjoy. She's bisexual, but the film doesn't make a big deal out of it. Um, like she. Ha- oozes charisma and is just such and so strong on the mic that i was basically like five seconds away from just jumping up and going yes jada pinkett smith yes you thank you wonderful woman thank you for this wonderful pleasure and pride for these gifts from above you've given me oh god like so she's amazing here she is wonderful and it's just made me sad that we haven't actually seen jada pinkett smith in more movies quite frankly (laughs) I think I read a tweet somewhere this past weekend stating of can somebody put Charlize Theron and Jada Pinkett Smith together in a movie right now? I've just been going, yes, 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 please make this happen right now, yes. Like, God, she, like, it, this, again, I realise that this kind of runs for brandish of me being a hypocrite because I'm a film critic and I'm supposed to want more from films than just, like, surface-level pleasures. Like, I'm supposed to want films to be more, to be more than just, like, surface-level no, pleasures. I don't, think and the fact, I don't think that's so much yeah. true as a film critic. Yeah. I think... Yeah. I think you're perfectly entitled mm. to, to like films yeah. just because of their surface value. Yeah. Well, uh, and that's been like, and the fact that I love Magic Mike mainly, mainly again because it is essentially just 115 minutes of giving me exactly what I wanted. Uh, but that I feel it's kind of hypocrite. But at the same time, isn't isn't this more? Like, isn't like isn't this itself more? Like, it's a film like about an underserved, like about a a usually demonized section of the like of life a demonized lifestyle is portrayed in a positive light uh that's very forward thinking of sex very respect uh, very forward thinking in terms of local culture and shot and made in a gaze and for an audience that is very typically underrepresented by a hollywood studio system like isn't this more like isn't this the something different we keep asking for in studio block like in studio filmmaking um I, I I I honestly don't know. What I do know is that there is a moment in which Channing Tatum proceeds to rip his shirt off and dance around on a um, like on a workbench to a to a grimy nineties hip hop jam, and it made my and he can do things with, with his pelvis that make my pelvis do weird do things of an entirely different age that I'm not going to get into. Um, I adore this movie to death, and unless the second half of this year starts shitting out solid gold week in week out, I can guarantee you this will be on my top ten of the year, and it's going to be very 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 high as a result of it. And yes, it is mainly because incredibly, really ridiculously good-looking men ripped off their clothes and gyrated in my direction for 115 minutes. Um, I'm a, I am a man of simple pleasures, what can I say? It's nearly as long as this podcast has gone on for, I think. Uh, <laughs> should we talk about Terminator Genesis? Well, Owen yes. can talk about it, and then I will ch- chime in afterwards. Okay. Uh, this is before we start. I think I ask this about every film that features some kind of time travel element. Terminator Genesis, the time travel element in it, is it on a scale of Back to the Future is easy to understand, Primer is un- understandable, or where does it lie? It's Star Trek levels of time travel, I would say. Right. Yeah. 
It's weird in that it's jumping between realities and universes and yet it's still affecting things in the current present and current past and the future. And you have a current present and a current past and a current Yeah, because then there's like a different past. There's like a different past which happened in the original film. So in 1984, James Cameron obviously released The Terminator. And in that film, stuff... Nothing had happened up until 1985 before the Terminator arrived. Nothing had happened. It was just a normal world. Everything that happens to everybody else in the world has happened. Then in this film, in 1980, was it 84 or 85 when the original Terminator turns up? Anyway, I think it's 84 actually. 84. When that, term- when that Terminator turns up, the past has been changed. Something else has happened in the 70s which means that this now 1984 is different. So you've got a current past and uh, like an alternate past and a current present and like an alternate present where things hadn't been changed. Is that you? See, it's quite confusing. It is really like all over the place, to be honest. And a lot of it doesn't seem to make much sense when you actually think about it. Um, because it's just, it's just a nonsense. It is just a nonsense. It's... I did put this on the website, so maybe this will help, Steve. Stuff that we don't really know about yet, which is going to be potentially in a sequel to this film, has happened in the alternate past, which is 1973, that's affected the current past, which is 1984, leading to alterations in the future future, which is 2029, that have changed Judgment Day, which was in the prior past, which was in the 90s, to the new present, which is 2017. That's it. I think we've broken Steve. We both, I think we've melted a lot of Just people's minds. Just do me minds. a diagram like the one <laughs> primer <laughs> and I'll be fine. Yeah, all you, all you have to really know, to be, to be honest, it sounds quite convoluted and it is quite convoluted, but all you have to really know is something changed in the 70s, which means what was meant to happen in the 80s now hasn't happened. Or it kind of does happen, but it's, it's different. Right. Okay, so, is the film any good? Is the film any good? The, <laughs> I mean, objectively, I, it's, it's difficult to fault it. It's set to a very clear blueprint of what a blockbuster film like this should be. Every like note you expect it to hit, so at this point in the film, we're going to have a bit of backstory. In this point, we have a bit of action. And then in this point, we have a little bit more story. This point, we have lots more action, but still not quite the biggest bit of action. This bit, we have a bit of uh, exposition to explain what actually has happened so far and what might happen next. Then we have even bigger action, and then we have a little bit more exposition, and then we have final big action set piece. That's that's kind of just how it plays out. It's it's to a very specific design. I think it's shot pretty well. I don't. I haven't got any problems with the way it's shot. I think the acting in it is fine and hold your tongue, Callum. I think that um, Amelia Clark is okay. I think she's fine. Uh, Jason Clark, who plays John Connor, is fine. And he was in it quite a bit more than I was expecting him to be. But I'm not going to reveal why. I think the, the director has already talked about how he's a bit miffed that the trailer spoiled some of the twists for the film. And the promotional advertising and the posters and the TV spots, everything basically. Absolutely everything to promote this film ruins one of the the more shock twists, should we Just say. Just like the one for Terminator 2. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. But, um, 
you know, they're fine. I think their performances are fine. I've said before, I think Jay Courtney's fine. I think he's got potential. I don't think he's really hit his potential yet with some of the films that he's got. I can understand a lot of people's criticisms of him. I understand that he, he looks like he's just come off a conveyor belt, as Nikolai actually said when, when I was talking to him about this, off a production line. You know, Sam Worthington, Taylor Kitsch, they're all... Jay Courtney, they're all very similar. They could all be interchangeable and playing any of the roles in any of the films that they've been in so far. However, I do think Jay Courtney's got a bit more potential than those. I've seen it in glimpses where I thought he was quite good. Um, but also people in this, like, who I expected to be good anyway, were quite decent. Lee byung Lee is good. I think he's great as the um, T-1000 in this film, the sort of melty version of the Terminator. He's also not in it half as much as he should be. And he is effectively doing his best Robert Patrick impression. But that's fine. It's fine. He's, that's the role he's there to play. And I think Robert Patrick himself actually turned down the opportunity of appearing in this film as the T-1000. Because um, he's got some like hip problem, from what I heard. So he doesn't feel like he's up to playing the character well enough. And they'd have to get body doubles in and stuff anyway. Which, you know... Fair enough, you know, that that's that's acceptable. Get someone else in. Lee byung Hyun been in a few good action films. He was in Red 2, where he was praised for his role. He was great in G.I. Joe Retaliation. Um, not to mention his phenomenal performances in Korean films that he's been in. But in this, he, he's just the bad guy. Um, and he's in it for a little while. And he's fine. He's fine. J.K. Simmons, you expect him to be brilliant. He's fine. He just basically is there to deliver lots of exposition and to basically intervene in moments of the film to extend certain bits, which really should have just been wrapped up early on. So, the, I mean, the basic, the, the premise of the original Terminator is Skynet, big, evil computer military system, blew up the world, um, tried to wipe out humanity, no choice to actually contain them. And that resistance that defeats Skynet in the end was led by John Connor. None of that has changed in this film. It's in the first sort of 10 minutes where you see John Connor still leading the resistance. Kyle Reese, who Jay Courtney plays, is still part of that resistance and they still do take out Skynet. However, there is something now which is slightly different, which causes this, this change in the past. So Kyle Reese goes back to the 80s expecting to find Sarah Connor as just the waitress who she is when Linda Hamilton played her originally. But instead, she's fully prepared for, for Kyle. She's fully prepared for the end of the world. And she has her own Terminator played by an older looking Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who she's dubbed Pops. She calls him Pops. And then you sort of learn about the relationship that the two of them have. And that's, that's I mean, that's all you really need to know, I think. It's just a bog standard action film it's got a 12a rating i think it, it it's, it's nothing more than a 12a i don't think the action in it is particularly deserving of being anything bigger it's no worse than anything that's been in terminator 3 or terminator salvation but as an actual film it is a, a lot more entertaining than both of those it's never going to hit the heights of terminator or judgment day never going to reach the the heights that those two um achieve but it's it's just a passable, mediocre, 120 minute 
12A, $155 million action film. Okay. I don't hate it. It's dumb, but it's fine. Like the characters, like the story, like the direction, it's just fine. Okay. Well, Callum, <coughs> as quickly as you possibly can, your thoughts. <coughs> I hate this movie. <laughs> I I hate Terminator 32X with a burning, fiery, intense passion. I hate it from I hated it from frame one when it decided that what the Terminator series needed was to show Judgment Day, whilst Jai Courtney monologues in the most bored drone possible about to be great about the Terminator mythology, which you don't need to ever explain to anybody. So let, let alone show Judgment Day. I hate it. Or I hate it simultaneously too complex and nowhere near as complex as it thinks it's being plot. <laughs> but, uh, with, this is this is that kind of action film where literally people will be telling each other the plot and then the film will pause for ten minutes for an action yeah. sequence before then well, starting up the plot again. Even, that's what in, I mean about J.K. Simmons. He's literally there to just sort of if he's not explaining it himself, he's asking the characters in the film to explain it yeah. for him. And they'll be starting to explain and then an action scene will happen to create this kind of fake tension. <gasps> what are they going to say? What were they going to say? I hate its utterly <laughs> awful, utterly awful and unconvincing CG. I hate the fact that I'm not scared of a skinless Terminator anymore. Like a, like a skinless mm. Terminator should be the most terrifying fucking thing ever because they're so uncanny and so, like, and just so nightmare for you and awkward. And they're not scary because they're so obviously fake. Like, they're too smooth. They have no thing. I hate its insipid grade school level exposition heavy dialogue there um just like the way it's where like terminator coleco visions attempts at uh, humor are just are barely qualified as humor i and the way that it insists on having to just set up things in the most obvious foreshadowy clunky way like there's a bit in the beginning of the film where the film stopped there for five straight minutes so that john connor and carl reese can go to each other Hey, John, John, I respect you, man. As a father, you're like a father to me. I love you. I love you, man. You've done everything for me. Yeah, Kyle, I love you too. You're like a brother. You're my right-hand man. I love you. What are you going to do when all this is over? Oh, I don't know, John. I'm finally going to go home. What are you going to do, John? I'm going to have a beer. Yeah, like back and forth in the most obvious, <laughs> insulting way for five straight minutes. And it does not get any better. I hate the way that it restages um, classic moments from the first two Terminator movies in a way to attempt to gain cheap nostalgia points under the guise of, under the false guise of subversion. But Because uh, uh, the last thing I needed was to see classic moments from classic movies being restaged by hacks. I despise Terminator 3DS XL's weak-ass version of a pathetic watered-down excuse of a Sarah Connor that it has here. Uh, I hate, like, she's like, this thing, instead, like, in Terminator 2, there's a thing is that, is that Sarah Connor is not like this kind... Like, she is a badass, but she's also, like, flawed. Like, she's this kind of stubborn, jerk-ass kind of person. Well, but she, she's not, had a yeah, lot of like, trauma. She's yeah, pretty much having a thing. mental breakdown in the film. Yeah, but that's, been, like, that's the point. The whole point of the movie yeah. is that, like, she's yeah. done this mental breakdown and desperate to try and prove that she's not crazy. Like, yeah. like it's it it works like it works for a character arc, and then, you know, like, then she progresses and matures as a person as the film goes on. Here, she's just the stubborn like the stubborn snarky girl like the stubborn snarky air quotes tough girl uh, but you get in any number of interchangeable terrible action movies but they you know the one who's too stubborn to see what's right there who just keeps going forward and insisting about thing has no time for humor and has to have everything fucking mansplained to her by jai courtney's kyle reese uh i and and then 
like the one interesting thing it has about it is the thing of destiny because in this timeline sarah connor knows that she has to have sex with, like she has to have sex with kyle reese in order to um like in order to make the future happen like in order to mm-hmm. john connor and she doesn't want to because well I don't know about you, but being forced to have sex with somebody, otherwise the fate of the world is in balance, isn't exactly the kind of thing that anybody likes to have happen to them, like forced sex. She spends this entire time going on. She does make a point, they do make a point in the film that it's not that she's supposed to, you know, it's played as a joke with Pops saying that have you two mated yet quite frequently, but it's played as like she knows that she's not just supposed to have sex with him. The, 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 the story is she's supposed to fall in love with him. That that doesn't doesn't want to because she doesn't know him that 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 doesn't make it better i hate storylines like that like, like i can't think of oh we must fall in love because destiny dictates we must kind of thing like like for example like so, like I, look i was watching shrek forever after where the whole point is that shrek and fiona must find true love in order to save the universe i just said like no that's skeevy as shit come on like and i hate and then because she spends the entire movie going on kind of like no i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna do it and then what is, and then at the end of the movie she just follows destiny it reminded me a lot of like of it, of um, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Did you guys watch Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland? Yeah. No. Yeah, like where where Alice spends the entire movie going, of, I'm not going to slay the Jabberwocky just because some prophecy tells me I must. I'm not going to do it. I will do what I want. And then once you do at the end of the movie, she slays the Jabberwocky. Why? Because the prophecy said she must. Like, and it's as infuriating here as it was there. I hate it. I hate how awful everybody is in this movie. Like, look, look, uh, like I hate Look, I hate Jai Courtney. Okay, I really do. I don't like. Look, I don't hate. I, I, okay, <laughs> I, 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 I don't hate hate Jai Courtney. Like he's probably a fine, upstanding like person out there, and he's good in side roles, like in small roles where mm. he's playing a where he's playing a jerk ass, or he's playing like Jack somebody Reacher. Who, he was good. Yeah. yeah, or he plays somebody who dies ten seconds after we meet him. So <laughs> divergent. So the divergent series and Unbroken, respectively, in that there. Like he's fine there. But he's being forced into leading man status, and he can't do that because he has no leading man charisma. Jai, Jai Courtney is a man who has been ta- who has heard about charisma from other people and is trying to do it, but doesn't actually understand what charisma is. There, and he's just awful here. Um, this movie is going to kill Amelia Clark's movie leading movie career before it gets a chance to set off, and it will be entirely justified because she's terrible here. I mean, not that the script gives her anything better to do, but she, like mm. she's just awful here. Um, J.K. Simmons is awful. Like I can't believe him. Like, he's just oh, since his thing is just to walk onto the film. Like, he looks he looks miserable here as well. Like just walk on film, and go ah robots, future robots. Told you this would happen. Ah future robots for five and a half minutes. Matt Smith is in this for literally two minutes and thirty six seconds, and is a complete into a wasting of Matt Smith and just like I, I hate that I fucking hate how Terminator Dreamcast decides that like but it doesn't it's, it doesn't even have the decency to be terrible like it doesn't even have the decency to be a train wreck car crash bad movie instead just settles for mediocrity like for just being inoffensive mediocrity the copy paste from the from the how from the step-by-step idiot's guide of how to make a, a, a 150 million dollar blockbuster because it knows that nobody's going to call it out on this for being because it, you're just going yeah yeah it's okay well because he did like, exactly the same with thor the dark world to be fair yeah yeah like uh, uh, it wasn't that like like uh, uh. Like, like, it was bad. I was going to get angry about it. Ugh. And I hate the fact it was fucking right. Like, but it was right to do that. Because everybody I have talked to about this movie or I've seen talk about this movie has just agreed with it. Just going, eh. But 
but it's not. It's awful. It is everything wrong with modern, like with modern filmmaking. I, like it is. It's of, of of terrible, pointless CG of insipidly complex plots with useless sequel threads hanging around there. There's apparently an end credit sequence in there that I didn't stick around for because I didn't know mm. there was one. But if there was one, of course there fucking was. I like of forcing up terrible leading people into who don't deserve it into starring roles in, in big budget action films of films with terrible dialogue and just like it is literally everything wrong with action with, with modern hollywood filmmaking but it's done in this kind of main veneer of competency so that like so that unless you actually realize this but you'll just sit there and go uh, uh. and it was fucking right because nobody's gotten angry about this or taken it to task or raped it across the calls just kind of collective and I fucking, I just, I fucking, I fucking But, you know, hate, stuff like, hate, so, hate, so Jurassic World does, does not do much different. Jurassic World hits the beats of every single typical yeah. There's film the difference of its point, like... and it's raking in over, yeah. like, it could be potentially $2 billion, and people seem to love it. Yeah. But there's not much difference as far as I can tell. Same with Star Trek Into Darkness, well, let's, Black let, Three. Let's, let's, let's bring things to an end there. Okay. Hang on, we're nearly, we're nearly back. No, no. Like, like, the difference with Jurassic World, though, is that Jurassic World at least has times where it's being fun. Like, to me, it just settles for this kind of endless, self-serious mediocrity. I hate the fact that it drags the Terminator name through the mud for this. And, like, like I enjoy, I really like those two Terminators. I don't even hold them in that high stead, though. I still felt insulted watching. I, just, I, I hate, I hate this movie. I, well, never, I, never, I hate, never I, I put yourself through Terminator 3 yeah. in that case. Uh, as no, well. no, no, no. I watched Terminator 3. I actually like Terminator 3 as well. Oh, I, look, okay, right. Look, I don't hate it as much as Entourage, but I hate it. But I hate Terminator CD more than I do Pole Block Mole Cop 2. And the fact that like Hollywood and studios are seemingly going out of their way this year to ensure that Paul Blart Mole Cop 2 is not in the top five of my bottom films of the year list is something we should all be legitimately worried about. It's a fucking problem. Right. I'm done. I'm done. Yes. If, I had a microphone, if I had a microphone, I'd drop it right now. Okay, well, that's it for this week's Fail Crossing podcast. With the exception of the recommendations, I'm going to recommend uh, Friday night, E4, 9 o'clock, Attack the Block. Uh, Good. Need yeah. to watch that. I need to watch that. Owen? Um, on the Horror Channel, which is on Freeview now, of course. Um, actually, I think it's on... If you've got Sky, it's 319. If it's Virgin, 149. And Freeview, it's Channel 70. Um, on the Horror Channel, on Thursday night at 5 to 11, is Scanners, which is David Cronenberg's film about <laughs> some psychics who are hunted by a, 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 a rather powerful scanner uh, or psychic. Okay. And it's really good. And Callum. And, fam- and famous for its special effects as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to recommend for you all just watch a film I've told Steve to watch, which is Wet Hot American Summer on Netflix. But since it's technically not a new edition there, um, I want to say recommend something that came out last week, which is the um, Coraline, Paranorman, and the Box Trolls, otherwise known as all three um, feature films made by um, the animation studio Leica so far, have been released on a triple um, disc DVD box set. Yeah. And you should watch them all because Coraline is fantastic. Paranorman is one of the best films of the decade. And Box Trolls is pretty good. So, okay. yeah, all worth it. Okay, that's all for this week's Fail Critics podcast. And if you want to read more from us, you can go over to www.failcritics.com um, where you'll find everything that's on the website. Next week, we'll be back. And I think me and Owen are going to be joined by the guys from Wiki Shuffle as we review stuff like Ted 2. <laughs> 
The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Thank you.